You got it? Because we can play it again if we need to hear it again. All right. All right. By the way, Steve asked the wrong question. I mean, it was a terrible question. Steve asked, who's your favorite team? Yell it out. What he should have asked is, who's God's favorite team? The Cowboys. That's why they have a hole in their roofs. Ben, your proclivity to follow the rules, or are you one of those guys who want to test them? Let's see. Let me throw some questions at you. You ready? you got to cross the street. Now, do you jaywalk even in front of a cop, or do you walk to the corner, wait for the light, even if the street is empty? Right? Are you a rule follower or a rule breaker? Do you speed a lot? Or are you one of those guys who figure, I've I can get away with nine overs, so you push it right to the edge. Or are you one of those dorks who glare at me every time I blow past you, right? By the way, have you ever wondered why so many rule followers marry rule breakers and all of the trouble that that causes? <clears throat> or, or maybe you're on a deserted farm road, and all you see is one set of headlights nearly a mile away. Do you stop at the stop sign even though there's no, because there's no one around, right, or do you just blow on through? Now, by the way, those headlights in the distance might be a cop car, I learned one time, right? Or, your wife brings home something that needs assembly. Do you read all the instructions and you're like, i got to follow the rules, or you just throw the stupid rules away and do it your way, right? And have you ever pondered why so many rule followers marry rule breakers and the issues that causes when you put stuff together? Or, or were you the kind of kid who would clean your room when your mom told you to and eat your vegetables when your mom told you to? Or would you shove your stuff under the door and sneak your vegetables to the dog, right? Or did you ever sneak a comic book inside of a textbook at school? Back when they used textbooks. I guess now it would be some video game or TikTok, right? Bottom line, here it is, guys. We're different. We're very, very different. Some of us are inclined, we're bent to cooperate as best we can to follow the rules. Others, when we hear the rules, we ask questions. What rule? Why? Is it right? What authority do they have? Is there a good reason to break the rule? What happens if I do break it? Others are just like, I just want to see what I can get away with. Or maybe more modern, you're not the boss of me. And here's the deal. God created both kinds of people. God created both kinds, the rule followers and the rule breakers. It is ironic that they often marry. But God created both kinds, and both kinds have their strengths and their weaknesses. And both kinds, both types, tend to judge each other way harder than God does. Now, you can see that playing out right now with these COVID mandates, these COVID rules, right? I mean, we're getting a steady stream of new rules, different rules nearly every week, it seems. What is your proclivity, your bent, your inclination? Do you follow the rules or do you test them? And both rule followers and rule breakers, it seems, are inclined to judge each other way harder than God does. Masks or no masks, only when absolutely required or even when you don't have to. 
You slip in a hug now and then, or are you more careful? This isn't a game, you know. Do you have friends over to the house, or are you waiting for the all clear? Hair place is closed. Do you invite the stylist to your house, slip a few extra bucks, or are you kind of like, come on, guys, just keep each other safe? Someone shakes your hand. Are you okay with that? Or do you go around looking for some hand sanitizer? Do you let your kids play outside with other kids? But what if grandma's coming over later? Don't you have to think about her too? Are you carrying around sanitizing wipes to open the doors, clean the buggy at Kroger, disinfect the groceries when you get home? Or are you trying to go on as much as you can as if nothing has changed? Are you a rule follower or a rule breaker? And both kinds are inclined to judge each other way harder than God does. And both kinds are inclined to justify themselves and to shame the other and to hold the other in contempt, even in church, which, by the way, doesn't work. Shaming people, trying to embarrass them doesn't work. It only makes the polarization more intense. It hardens people. Now, I suppose, to be perfectly honest, that my inclination, my bent, my proclivity, stunning to you all, is probably to be a rule breaker, right? And I don't think it's because I grew up in the 60s. I just tend to ask why a lot. Does the rule make sense? Whose rule is it? By what authority? And then, is there a good reason to break the rule? And what happens if I do break it? And the more a rule makes sense, the more I'm inclined to comply. And if it doesn't, it becomes really hard, perfectly honest. Except with God, I do my best not to let my proclivity for rule-breaking infect my obedience to God. You see, I believe that God is good, way better than I am. I think that God is smart, infinitely smarter than I am. So I trust God implicitly. I figure if God tells me to do something, that he's got a reason, if, even if I don't get it yet, right? God is like the perfect father. We dads teach our kids what to do, what not to do, because we love them. And we know that some of the things our kids are inclined to do are just stupid. They can't see it yet. God's kind of like that. When he tells us to do something or not, there's good reason. Sometimes we just don't see it yet. But if it's not one of God's clear rules, then I'm inclined to ask why a lot, which I can prove by producing multiple diplomas from Kentucky Traffic School, right? Sometimes it's a real pain being a preacher. There was one cop in town who told another cop in town who goes to Cap City, would you please instruct your preacher to start stopping at that stop sign before I've got to pull him over and give him a ticket, right? So I tried, kind of. I used to golf a lot. One of the things that annoyed the bejeegers out of me was legalistic golfers. Don't you hate legalistic golfers? I mean, I'm just trying to have fun. I'm not playing for money, so I roll my ball up onto a tuft of grass to make it easier to hit, and they're like glaring at me, dorks. And you know how annoying it is to lead a church in the state capital where half of the people in the church work for the state, and their job is to enforce all of these crazy regulations, right? I suppose one of my many reasons for being here at Capital City is because of my bent for rule-breaking. I was a professor at a very, very conservative Christian college, 
conservative Christian colleges have a boatload of rules, a whole lot of them silly to guys like me. Until the year I was hired, you couldn't have a beard on campus. In other words, they wouldn't let Jesus in, right? I mean, every godly man that I know has a beard, right? Thank you. And, and they wanted guys to wear pants in class. Now, I guess that all made sense. But it meant no sweatpants, no shorts, even in a night class before an intramural basketball game. So sometimes students would come up to me when I was teaching in a night class that asked permission for breaking the rules to wear shorts to my class. I didn't care. I didn't care. They had this rule that guys couldn't wear earrings, either ear, right? Well, my soccer team, I was the coach. We were up in Ohio one time. I let them go to a mall for a while, and some of my players bought these little magnetic earrings that you can stick on your ear, and someone reported us to the bosses at the school, and they scolded me for breaking the rules. My response was, really? Of course, I was also the guy on campus with the clandestine master key to every single door. And they had this student handbook that had a list of these rules, and these rules got longer and longer and longer every single year, as they always do, because students would look for loopholes, right? You'd tell them no pets, and so they'd test it with some other kind of a thing. It didn't say, don't, don't, don't put this, you can't have this in your room, so they'd try something new, and the next year it'd be a longer list, closing the loopholes. One time they put in a rule that guys had to wear a tie to chapel. They were required to go to chapel twice a week because ties make guys a little more Christian, right? Well, some of our students started crafting ties out of things like tinfoil, or they'd find these polka dot clown ties that were about this wide. So I thought I'd help. So I wrote an essay on the proper Christian tie, right? I wrote about how long it had to be and how wide it had to be and how thick it had to be, what colors it would be, what materials were acceptable, stuff like that. And that may help explain why I'm here at Cap City. Because <laughs> rules tend to grow like a cancer. You start with a perfectly sensible guideline, maybe, and people start looking for loopholes. So you make more rules to clarify the guideline and close the loopholes. And the rule breakers keep testing the edges. So the rule makers keep making more rules, closing the loopholes until it spirals out of control. And pretty soon all the rules become more important than the perfectly sensible guideline that got them all started. And too often the rules become more important than people. That's how legalism works. That's how legalism has always worked. In fact, by the time of Jesus, legalism was entirely out of control for a whole lot of the Jews. Back then, God had given Israel the law. Because back then, they didn't know much about God or how to do life with God for God, God's way. So as a perfect father, God gave them some guidelines, some rules. Kind of the centerpiece of those rules, those laws, was the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Four rules on how to love God and six rules on how to love each other. Well, some of the Jewish preachers, teachers, guys like me, started scouring the scriptures, trying to find all of the rules they could find there. And they found 613 rules in the scriptures. 613 just in the first five books of the Old Testament. 248 do's, 365 don'ts. 
stuff like don't work on the Sabbath day. Don't work on the Sabbath. Set that day apart to honor your God and rest. But people would interpret what it means differently. What does it mean to work on the Sabbath? You need more rules, don't you, to clarify that rule. So they started making rules to clarify the rules. No, don't work on the Sabbath. That means don't carry stuff. Don't write, don't cook, don't wash, don't sow, don't plow, don't plant, don't thresh, don't harvest. They came up with a list of 39 things that were work that you couldn't do on the Sabbath day. And then they started writing these rules down in books. Okay, Now you can read through the whole Old Testament law. This is a copy of, my, of the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, about this much of it. That's the law in the Old Testament. That's just the first five books of the Old Testament, about 300 pages. This is my copy of the Mishnah, okay? This is when they started writing rules down in order to clarify the rules in this book. This one's a little over 1,100 pages, okay? Rules telling you how to clarify the rules. But people still kept testing the edges, don't work on the Sabbath, the Old Testament says. Got it. So that means you can't carry stuff, right? That's what the Mishnah says. What do you mean? How big does it have to be before it breaks the rules? Can you carry a wallet on the Sabbath? It says you can't cook right here, right? Does that mean you can't make a sandwich? So they started clarifying the clarifications of the rules, right? This is volume one of what's called the Babylonian Talmud. If you look at it, really, oh, it's upside down. You can't read it. Really, really small writing, 27 volumes. If you put the set together, it's about like this, okay? That's the Babylonian Talmud. This is the rules on how to follow the rules on how to follow the rules. That's what was developing in the time of Jesus, all of these rules are being worked out in the time of Jesus. And so for a whole lot of people in the time of Jesus, life with God is about learning the rules and obeying the rules. It became a rules religion. It's called legalism. Legalism. And if you're not a rule follower, you're broken. And oftentimes, we considered you despised because rule followers like to diss rule breakers. And rule breakers like to diss them right back. Some of this legalism started infecting Jesus followers too. Still does. Whole lot of people today who think that Jesus following is about learning the rules and following the rules, right? No matter how crazy they are, it seems. I guess it was Homer Simpson. Someone asked Homer Simpson, what religion do you belong to? And his answer is this. You know the one with all the well-meaning rules that don't work in real life? Yeah, Christianity. How sad is that? And that's exactly what a whole lot of people think Christianity is all about. Andy Stanley is a great preacher down in Atlanta. He says that a whole lot of people think Christianity is kind of like a big game of Jesus says. You've played Simon says, right? He says Christianity is kind of like Jesus says. Jesus says, stand up, so you stand up. Jesus says, read your Bible, so you read your Bible. Jesus says, pray, so you pray. Jesus says, go to church, so you go to church. Jesus says, tithe, so you give. You do all that stuff because Jesus says. And then you hear him say, sit down, so you sit down. 
gotcha. Didn't say Jesus says first, right? And they go through life trying to figure out what exactly Jesus says so they can do it and paying attention if Jesus doesn't say it so they can have freedom. They think their whole job is to make people play this game of Jesus says, even though we always fail. Then along comes the real Jesus, the real Jesus. And the real Jesus approach rules a whole lot differently than a lot of us Jesus followers do. I want to look at two stories very quickly. They're back-to-back in all of the accounts of Jesus written by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So here's the first story from the Gospel of Mark. It says, one Sabbath day, one Sabbath day, and listen, guys, whenever a story in the Jesus stories starts with one Sabbath day, you know that there's going to be an issue coming over the Sabbath, right? You know he's going to be challenging their Sabbath rules because they had these boatload of rules about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. So it's a Sabbath day. As Jesus is walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. Disciples are walking along, snapping off the heads of wheat or something, rubbing them in their hands to get to the kernels, popping them in their mouth, probably like sunflower seeds, and chewing on them. And guys, clearly, that's breaking the rules. It's breaking the Sabbath rules. Next verse. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? It's kind of like these Pharisees were running around looking like Ben with his whistle in his hat, right? Striped jerseys following Jesus around, blowing their whistle at every infraction. And the disciples were clearly lawbreakers. Had committed a penalty, harvesting, threshing, winnowing on the Sabbath day. That's work, right? It's absolutely work. It's right here. It's absolutely work. It's right here. Doesn't matter if they're hungry. Breaking the law. Well, Jesus shoots back at him. He says, have you guys never read your Bible? Have you read your own Bible? Remember King David? You know the King David? The time that he and his guys ate food that you guys would call illegal? And then Jesus says two things that are incredibly important, things that they needed to hear and things that we need to hear. Ready? First thing he said is this. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. It was made to meet the needs of people. People were not made to meet the requirements for the Sabbath. He says the Sabbath rules were created to serve people to make life better, not the other way around. We were not created so someone could follow the rules. Good rules were put in place to make life better. Jesus says, you know how I know? (laughs) You know how I know? Because I wrote them. Son of man, Jesus says, I am Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus says, this is my day. And I'll decide how to honor it. In other words, if you find yourself frowning at someone that God is smiling on, you'd better switch sides. Right? Story number two. Jesus goes into a synagogue again, and he notices a guy with a deformed hand. It was Sabbath, so Jesus' enemies were watching him closely. Remember, anytime it says that it was a Sabbath, Jesus is going to be challenging their rules. And the refs are in the room, right? It's a Sabbath. They've got the whistles in their mouth. They're watching Jesus, ready to call a foul. And what Jesus is about to do is what they would call a flagrant two foul for basketball. An ejection, a match penalty, a red card. Back then, 
In this context, way, way worse. Jesus notices this man with a deformed hand, and if he heals on the Sabbath, they plan to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. You can't heal a man on the Sabbath unless he's dying, maybe. So Jesus looks at the guy with the deformed hand, and he says, come on, right here in front of everybody. I want everybody to see. This is not going to be hidden. Right here, right here. And you'd hope that everybody in the room would be excited, right? You really would. I mean, here's a guy who, who desperately needs a miracle in the presence of a miracle worker. Wouldn't you be rooting for a miracle? Wouldn't you be hoping for a miracle? I mean, if Jesus, even if Jesus couldn't do it for some reason, even if Jesus couldn't do it because it was the Sabbath, with all of your heart for the sake of love, you'd want him to. I mean, even if you believe with all your heart that for the sake of love, everybody ought to wear a mask. Don't you wish you didn't have to? Wouldn't that be cool? Well, Jesus brings the guy front and center where everybody can see. According to the early Christian tradition, they wrote about this story. We don't know if it's true. The guy was a mason. He worked with his hands. He worked with stones and brick, and his hands were messed up. Chances are he had a wife, kids, family. How does it feel to have a family and you can't work? A lot of folks know exactly what that feels like right now. Instead, the Pharisees are fixating on a potential violation of law, a lawbreaker. Because sometimes religious people are more obsessed with rules than with people. And that makes Jesus mad. Sometimes religious people value rules over relationships. And because of that, they build roadblocks between those God loves and God's grace. And that makes Jesus mad. Especially here. When it's not God's rules they're trying to enforce here, but their own rules on how to follow God's rules, which we do all the time, right? We add rules to God's rules. God says this, we interpret it this way, and if you don't follow our rules, we get ticked at you. What should you wear to church? Can you have a cup of wine? How should you behave in worship? How should you think about all of the laws being laid down right now? So Jesus says this. He says, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Which is it? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? What's the principle of the Sabbath, he asks? What's the big idea? They wouldn't answer him. Jesus is right in their faces. He does that sometimes. He turns to the umps, the refs. He says, you tell me. You tell me what God's law is really all about. You think God wants me to heal this man or not? Come on, say it out loud in front of all these people, he says. Jesus isn't backing down. After all, he is Lord of the Sabbath, right? It's his day. Jesus looked around at them angrily. He was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. It's a strong word in Greek, this angrily or gay, anger, indignation, wrath. He's mad, and he's deeply saddened, it says, because Nearly always, perhaps, the anger of God is the flip side of grief. Think about that. God wants better for his people. God wants better for his kids, and it breaks his heart. It ticks him off when we do anything to block his amazing grace. 
So Jesus says to the guy, hold out your hand. The guy holds out his hand and it's restored. That's all it says. I love the way that Jesus' miracles are described in the New Testament. No show, no spectacle, just a matter of fact. So unlike the miracle workers of their world and the miracle workers of our world, God just speaks and it happens. That's power. And the referees? Well, at once the Pharisees went away and they met with supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. They stirred a plot to kill Jesus. And one guy that I read points out the irony of the scene. In their eyes, you can't heal a man on the Sabbath, but you can plot a murder on the Sabbath, right? So, where does that leave us? Right here, right now. What do we need to do? I'm going to try to draw out four big ideas. Three of these ideas will be from these two Jesus stories. The fourth is going to come from the Apostle Paul. And this stuff matters. It matters for Capital City right here, right now. Because we Jesus followers tend to drift towards a rules religion. And too often the rules that we obsess over aren't even his. And when we start thinking of Jesus following as rules following, we make it hard for people to find grace. In fact, we make it hard for ourselves to taste grace. So four big ideas. Here's number one. Jesus is hard on those who value rules more than people. You get it? Sometimes we are way more obsessed with rules than we are with people, and it makes Jesus mad. So guys, don't. We're Jesus followers. And if people were more important than rules to Jesus, then people are more important than rules to us. That's it. Big idea number two. Jesus is hard on those who add to the rules. So don't. Listen, God is annoyed when we blow off his rules, as any good father would be. Because they're there because he loves us and he wants to make our life better. But God is just as annoyed when we pile our rules on top of his. And then we diss people and judge people based on our standards instead of his. Listen, guys, if it's a clear word from God, just do it, whether you get it or not. If it's not a clear word from God, if it's just your opinion, don't judge people by it. On most things, we're free. On most things, good, God-honoring people can disagree. On most things, what God expects from us towards each other is generosity and grace. Can you imagine the difference it would make if we Jesus followers stopped judging them and stopped judging each other because of the rules we write? He's the Lord, right? Big idea number three. Jesus is the hardest on the self-righteous. I mean, even if you're right and they're wrong, Jesus is hardest on the self-righteous. You know why? Because <laughs> you're wrong too a lot. Because every, every single one of us at a primal level is a rule breaker in need of grace. That's who we are. 
even those of us who try to so, so hard to be law followers, in the deepest part of our soul, every one of us is a rule breaker in need of God's grace. And the cross ought to kill our judgmentalism and our propensity for comparison. One more, big idea number four. This wasn't in these two stories that we looked at, but it's really big. Try to see yourself as the stronger brother. In other words, you be the gracious one. You be the generous one. So I said, this doesn't come from these two Jesus stories. This comes from the Apostle Paul. But I hear a lot of people today, a lot of Jesus followers, talking about the weaker brother. You need to take care of the weaker brother. Don't do anything to offend the weaker brother. And way too often, we act like the weaker brother is me. Right? So you need to take care of me. You shouldn't do anything to offend me. What if all of us tried to see ourselves as the stronger brother? Which means we're the ones to be gracious. Not to be right, but to be gracious. This is countercultural because, guys, people in our world love playing the victim. You can't disagree with me. It offends me. It shouldn't hurt my feelings. We're Jesus followers. Let me read you a few verses from Romans chapter 14. Verse 1 from the message. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way that you do. What a difference that would make. Don't jump all over them every time they do or say something that you don't agree with, even when it seems they are strong on opinions but weak on faith. Treat them gently. Guys, if we could do that much, it would transform our church, wouldn't it? A couple more verses. These are from the New Living Translation. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and they'll receive his approval. He goes on. Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you condemn each other? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. Guys, love on each other. Show grace. He says, so stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you'll not cause another believer to stumble and to fall away from God. And he closes it with this. So, let's aim for harmony in the church and let's try to build each other up. Guys, that's the kind of church we want to build here at Capital City. We value people over rules. We resist adding to his rules and then judging people who disagree with us. We recognize that we're all sinners. Every single one of us is a sinner needing grace. And we try to live that grace out. How cool is that? Let's let that be us.
Guys, we spent the last couple of months talking about things that make Jesus mad. I mean, we often ask, what would Jesus do? Well, maybe this question is just as big. What made Jesus mad? Be good to know, because we're Jesus followers. And here's the deal. When we see Jesus getting angry, it's usually some religious person creating a roadblock between God's grace and someone who needs it. Jesus came into our world to connect his kids to God, and it ticks them off, and we make that harder. We talked about indifference. When we treat people like they don't matter, it makes Jesus mad. We talked about prejudice, bigotry. When we stick people in boxes and start devaluing everyone in that box, that is a sin against God. We talked about judgmentalism. Sometimes we want God to show grace to those that we want him to show grace to, but it annoys us when he shows grace to those that we don't like. How many people is our judgmentalism driven away from the grace of God? We talked about hard hearts, hearts that are so self-absorbed that people around us just don't matter. It's all about me. We talked about guilt. Sometimes we just won't accept God's forgiveness. We refuse God's grace. Guys, that annoys God too. We talked about legalism. Today, we sometimes treat rules as more important than people. And with our legalism, we've driven people away from grace. I hate that. So does he. So let me ask you two questions, guys. Have any of these things, any of the things on that list, have any of those things made it harder for you to embrace God? Have you ever been treated with indifference, prejudice, judgmentalism, legalism? Have you been put in a place or put yourself in a place where you believe that your sin is bigger than God's grace? Question number two. Any of those your sins? You involved in any of those things that have made it harder for people around you to embrace the grace of God? I'm going to ask you, if you would please, bow your heads and close your eyes. Even if you're online, if you want, bow your heads, close your eyes. You need to get honest with God. The psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Let's be honest. Listen to his spirit. Then raise your hands if you're willing. How many of you guys are struggling right now with some of these sins that you need to confess and you need to get right with God? Raise your hand if you want. No one's going to see. If you're going to need God's help to get by these sins, you need to ask his forgiveness. You need to ask for his help. And then how many people in this room, how many people watching online need grace right now? There's a distance between you and God, and you want, you need to do life with God, for God, his way, right now. Raise your hands if you want. And then tell him. In your own words, tell him that you want him to be the Lord of your life. During this next song, if you want, I'm going to be sitting right up here. Come on down. I want to chat with you.
if you don't want to chat with me right now, let's talk after the service. Some things we do need to talk about. But I'd like to ask you to just take this next couple of minutes as our team sings this chorus to have a conversation with God. You can come forward during this time if you want.